Welcome to Lunch with Tech Leaders, where we have engaging conversations about software development and cloud engineering with industry leaders and subject matter experts. These episodes are created by the Great Lakes Tech Leaders, an online community of technology practitioners. Please come join the conversation by visiting gltl.rbn.ai. Again, that's gltl.rbn.ai. Now strap in, because we're deploying to production in three, two, one. Welcome to the latest episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. My name is Jason Brown. I'm a cloud solutions architect with RightBrain Networks, and I'm your host for today. Joining me is software and data consultant, Tom Kowalski. Hello. Also joining us today is our subject matter expert, Preston Frazier, senior software engineer from the Interoperability Institute. Welcome back, Preston. Thank you. Happy to be back again. In a previous episode of our serverless series, we discussed observability, logging, and monitoring, which was such a huge topic that we didn't cover all that we intended to cover during the discussion. So today we're going to dive back in and talk about it in more detail. So let's begin. The previous episode, which was a few months back, I think it was uh, June, I believe. And in that one, we talked a lot about the data collection side of things, log aggregation side of things, talked about a couple of the tooling uh, options around that. Uh, we talked about X-ray, uh, X-ray tracing, which is tailor-made for, for serverless architecture. Uh, and I would encourage everybody uh, listening to, to check that out if you haven't already. There's a whole other side of it that we hadn't really gotten into, which was the uh, analysis and visualization aspect, or in other words, making sense of the data that has been collected, putting it to good use. So yeah, I'd like to, to get some general discussion going and just sort of pick back up where we left off. So I know that uh, Preston, in our last episode, right before we had concluded, you mentioned that there was a, a couple of technologies that you had been using that you were interested in talking about when it comes to querying logs, analyzing logs, uh, making sense of the data. I, I believe you specifically mentioned Glue and Athena as an example, but yeah, I'd just like to, to kick off the conversation with that and, and uh, get your, your thoughts and opinions. Sure. I think we can, you know, kind of level set that CloudWatch is really the bread and butter of logging in AWS. There's a lot of things that kind of stem off of that. As you mentioned, we talked about X-Ray, which is also kind of under the, the CloudWatch umbrella. Um, they have a thing called metrics, which on AWS side, they collect these metrics um, of various services. They do have some some graphing abilities in CloudWatch that we can maybe touch on a little bit more. And so, you know, CloudWatch is, is a place where you can get logs for a lot of different services, Lambda, ECS, Kinesis. I think there's other services you can get logs and logs too. A lot of your logic happens is going to happen in, you know, Lambda or um, containers. So, you know, we can kind of talk about stemming from that. So getting logs in CloudWatch, that, that's great. Um, easy to see and, and search for. And and so that, that's one one place where they're stored kind of by default when you, you deploy things. And that's nice to have when you have a CloudFormation stack, which is something where you have multiple resources deployed via technology like serverless or CDK or Terraform or something like that. Actually, Terraform doesn't use a CloudFormation stack. But if you do have things tied to a CloudFormation stack, um, you have to be careful. <laughs> of uh, pitfalls, uh, something like if you delete a CloudFormation stack, you'll delete the, the CloudWatch logs that are associated with that CloudFormation stack, which might not necessarily be the best thing. 
well, let's make a note to talk about what to do in that kind of scenario because we do have a kind of a workflow that um, can help us back up logs. To your point about another way to do logging is to write your logs to S3 where they're stored in a bucket and use AWS Glue, which is a service where you can specify a schema, usually a JSON schema, but you can, you know, do a schema for maybe a CSV format too. And so that schema can kind of say, this is what the format of the logs are. So you write that data in a JSON schema to S3. You have this the glue schema that you know kind of defines that. And then you use AWS Athena, which is a querying tool where you can search those logs in S3 based on that glue schema. And in Athena, you can get a display. It's kind of like a, an SQL language you can use to, to query with. And you can query your, your logs in S3 with Athena and see the results and do all the filtering that you'd want to do. That's a another method of getting logs and being able to query them. Uh, you, you can do some querying some in, in CloudWatch, some basic filtering, but actually defining a rigid structure of your logs in you know, JSON format gives you a bit more power to be able to, to match specifically on fields that you want to look for. Or, you know, maybe you don't want to log everything to CloudWatch. You just want to log some specific attributes. And so this kind of method or architecture allows you to, you know, build that JSON structure, put it in S3, and then um, query for it later. I do want to mention that you can partition your data by, uh, by different attributes. And I do recommend <laughs> partitioning data. That's part of the glue schema that you set up. You're partitioning it by, you know, the S3 path with, you know, year, month, day, or some kind of uh, transaction ID or something to partition on. So you're not querying over a bunch of data, you're, you're filtering it down a little bit. That method of S3 glue and Athena, I think is another great way to produce logs that are usable later on. Definitely partition by uh, the <laughs> date time. That's kind of an easy one. I, I recommend um, that all the time. Yeah, In your S3 buckets partition with a year, month, day, at least if you're doing a lot of, uh, put a lot of data in there. Yeah, but go ahead. yeah, yeah. at least start there, but also think about like, you know, the patterns, um, if you, know, you can break it up by the, the different workloads or different things like that. If you threw everything all in one bucket, right, just by the day, it might be too much. So just think about the access patterns. Uh, it'll really save you down the line once, you know, if you have too much data in there and then it costs a lot of money to, uh, to query it. So. Yeah, it's a good it's a good caveat and good rule to stand by for a lot of things. You know, doing development, it seems small at first, but once it's been in production for a year, oh no, it's going to be hard to move if it's not been uh, architected right. Yep. Yeah, and to kind of go back to what you said about um, the Athena queries themselves, I mean, it, it's nice because it allows you to query it very much like SQL. You know, it's like you're, you're writing SQL querying for data in a database, but you're doing that against your logs, which are in S3. Right, well... Not technically, because Glue was putting them in a, in a Glue table, but yeah, that's that's kind of the idea. And I like to compare that to CloudWatch Log Insights, which I found very useful as well, uh, which is just built into CloudWatch, right? It's got its own query language, but it looks very, very similar to SQL. So you can just query CloudWatch Logs um, directly from uh, CloudWatch Log Insights. 
especially when you have uh, a serverless architecture with a lot of disparate components. You know, all of them, if they're log, all the lambdas, let's say, logging to CloudWatch, each one has its own log group, which has any number of log streams. It's nice to be able to query across multiple log groups, even um, not just the log streams, but all the log groups that you're interested in uh, to be able to uh, pull the data out that you need to, to make sense of it or to look for something specific, uh, which is really nice. So to kind of go back to what you were saying before, Preston, about CloudWatch, you were you had mentioned um, that there was a need for backing up your CloudWatch logs, I believe. Um, I think you had mentioned that before with uh, yeah, no. Matt tied into to CloudFormation and you know how how their that potential CloudFormation stack updates could be disruptive. Could you, would you mind going into that a little bit more in more detail? Yeah. So, I mean, for us and I'm sure most other companies, keeping logs are important to be able to go back and look in to if necessary, even if it's, you know, years old and you might, you know, want to archive those at some point or, you know, you're required to keep those logs uh, as a requirement. That's really important to do. And so if you do have CloudWatch logs associated to a CloudFormation stack, which a lot of times you will because you're using a framework to deploy and it uses, you know, a CloudFormation stack, you know, the deletion of that stack will delete all the resources associated with it. And those CloudWatch logs are a resource. And so subsequently those would be deleted if you delete a stack. <laughs> uh, if you do it by accident, um, well, there goes your, you know, logs that you, you had. Um, I'm not sure if AWS keeps a backup of those somewhere else. I don't think they do. So they're really tied to that stack. So one of the things we've invented, or not invented, but we've uh, we've kind of made a utility to do, is to utilize a, a tool AWS has. Um, AWS provides, uh, it's not really a service, it's kind of, um, it's part of CloudWatch logs. It's a export function where you can export uh, CloudWatch log groups to a CloudWatch log group to um, do an S3 bucket. Um, I think there's also a way to utilize that to kind of uh, real-time stream your logs to an S3 bucket as well, streaming with uh, AWS Kinesis. So two methods they have, you can, you can do like a backup or you can do real-time stream to Kinesis. For us, uh, we, we chose to make a utility that initiates a uh, a backup to S3. Um, and with our utility, the way AWS has their uh, like API set up for that is you can export one log group at a time and you pass it the start date and the end date. Um, we made a utility that kind of scans our um, CloudFormation stack and finds all of the log groups associated with the CloudFormation stack. And it iterates through each log group and um, exports those sequentially. Caveat about the exporter in AWS, um, there's a really hard limit uh, of one export task per AWS account that can't be raised. So it's not like we could start multiple of these backup processes in parallel. Unfortunately, it's a current, at least currently, it's a sequential task where you have to go from law group to law group and you have to check to see if the export status is you know, completed or not. Um, so having this utility is really helpful to kind of manage that process for us. But 
once we do get those logs exported to S3, we've actually been able to do a similar thing that I just talked about with Athena, where we can where we have a blue schema and we can query those through Athena. Now those logs, if you've uh, you know thought through this a little before, you may or may not have your uh, CloudWatch logs uh, in JSON format, which if you do write your logs in a JSON format to CloudWatch, you can easily query those in JSON attributes in Athena. Otherwise, you just query. We can query on like um, you know plain text. But still, uh, with that back CloudWatch backup, we're able to do that same methodology of S3 for the glue schema and query to Athena. So people that want to look at those exported logs, you know, for some reason later on. They can use Athena to to query. Yeah, I got I got a few questions on that. So we kind of took the opposite route. Uh, I'm assuming you store that. You say you know you, you may need those logs, or you said you kind of have to. I'm assuming that's for compliance reasons right, yeah. that you have to store mm-hmm. those. So we kind of did the opposite, where we for the compliance of being able to get rid of PII. Uh, how do you deal with that in your logs? If so and backing them up, so that's uh well, we can put PII in in logs, which in CloudWatch logs, which is okay. Our S3 buckets are encrypted. They it supports having PHI or PII in our S3 buckets, and so our security team is okay with that workflow um, because everything is encrypted. And the permissions can be controlled with IAM permissions on querying that data. So from our end, it's secure. Yeah. For, for us, it was more like the like right to be forgotten uh, and those types of laws, right, where you have to you know, get rid of any PII, uh, but still you know, record you know, the, the transactions, the other information that you do need to store forever. So w- what we did is if it's going into CloudWatch, we only store it for 38 or for 28 days, right? So you're under that 30 and then it's deleted forever. And that's kind of like the safe quote unquote place to, you know, if PII does make it into logs, like that's where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, anything that we need to store that needs to be, you know, for, for a record and persist, that's kind of like a separate function, you know, within the application of, of storing those somewhere where, you know, it, it can be separated from that PII and backed up, you know, forever. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. I should also clarify too. We do have kind of a standard of not logging, you know, patient demographics because we do with healthcare information. Um, Mm -hmm. we really don't write a lot of PII. What we do is we write a lot of maybe identifiers, to um, our logs, which also can be considered patient mm-hmm. identifying information, even though it's an identifier value. Any other things we use to identify, you know, people, we don't write those in CloudWatch logs usually. But let's say we did because maybe we turned logs on in maybe debug mode or something at some point in the history. You know, that's going to happen at some point. Somebody needs to be troubleshooting logs and they need to see what's going on. So, yeah, there could be some kind of patient information written to the logs at that point. That's a good good thought to bring up. Um, if you need to like scrub that patient from your logs, it can be a tricky task. 
I, it's, you know, one of those things where you're going to have to go back and query through logs and yep. you know, check, Hey, is this patient anywhere in our logs that we need to remove? Yeah, that's because we kind of ran into that. So, you know, we decided to take the, the proactive approach where, you know, you might've gotten burned where you didn't have those logs. Right. And then it's like, oh, you know, like, okay, come up with a solution to, to save those. Like we, you know, had it hurt the other way where it's like, oh, we need to go through all these logs and, you know, constantly remove stuff. So it's like, okay, you know, take a different approach to it. So yeah, right. it's interesting. And, you know, a lot of times in healthcare, we, there is, you know, we need to disclose or if patient information has been disclosed, we need to be able to track where that disclosure happened. So, you know, finding those people or patients in our data is important. It's uh, it's key to, to log that information when patient information was accessed. So definitely in our field, there's going to be references to patients. And it's, you know, <laughs> it's uh, a yeah. lot of data to go through. It's, yeah, this could be another another topic for another episode. For sure, yeah. Like go into that, how to treat the data and as it moves around and deal with PII, it's not, you know, it doesn't matter if it's HIPAA now, right? It's, you're kind of all of the uh, compliances and, you know, laws, privacy laws have kind of converged, right? So it's like, it's all any personal data. So it's like any app really has to deal with kind of the same, maybe a little less, but almost the same stringent uh, laws of like healthcare laws and things like that. So yeah, right. so everybody, everybody has to be compliant these days and pretty, pretty strict compliance standards. So, Data yeah. privacy and protection. So mark yeah. that down, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all great points. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, then the question is too, you know, in, it, like you're saying, eventually something may happen and planning out what is the recourse, you know, how, how are we going to be able to find when a breach happens or when disclosure happens and, um, you know, being able to, to track through the, the logs you've collected to see, you know, where that happened to, to resolve the, the issue in a postmortem is very important. Uh, it's good to get a lot of that planning done up front, but yeah, just kind of returning back to the, the solutions that both of you guys were talking about, actually, I mean, well, Preston first, I guess. So with the backup of those logs and developing that solution, that utility to be able to do that. Did you run into any challenges or pitfalls with that? Like, were there any, anything, was there anything that came up that ended up being a struggle or, or a challenge to overcome? You know, AWS provides that <clears throat> API, I should say, to initiate the log backup. Um, and that's pretty straightforward that, you know, we needed to collect the log group names we wanted to back up and, um, you know, provide something to specify the the law, the cloud's permission stack and the start and end times for those logs. We kind of had the solution already developed for you know putting glue schemas on S, uh, on and uh, querying through Athena. So there wasn't a whole lot of uh, pitfalls in that. Besides uh, tuning, um, there's not much you can do in terms of tuning performance. So you're kind of at the mercy of it's going to go as fast as it can go. It's going to be you know, not parallel processing. It's going to be whatever their process is to export those. Um, this is a service that AWS doesn't charge you for. So it's likely they're not going to give you a lot of fast performance <laughs> to back up those logs. Uh, so if you have a lot of logs, it, it could take a long time. Uh, so, you know, if you're going to, if, if you're planning to drop CloudFormation stack, let's say you're planning to do a deployment on a certain day, 
you're going to want to make sure you get the bulk of those logs backed up, um, you know, in it in advance, maybe a week before you're going to do the deployment, um, just to make sure that process has time to finish. At least that's what we've seen. It really depends on how much logs you have that you're backing up in your log groups. Interestingly enough, we we do actually have to, we're in the process of refactoring our solution for that because AWS recently implemented a security or I guess a, a safety feature in um, their Lambda uh, service. The feature goes like this, where it's to prevent uh, a chain of concurrent invocations. Um, mm, yeah. How we'd been um, implementing this was since the process took a long time to run and we had to keep uh, initiating log groups, we had lambdas and we chained them together. So after they had executed for you know 14 minutes or close to the maximum, we just have um, another lambda kickoff that basically continues the process to continue checking, continue initiating the logs as needed. And so you know they continue to invoke the same lambda in the chain. Well, back in July of this year, AWS implemented a um, a policy across accounts uh, turned on by default, where if you have a, a Lambda that's invoked, I don't know, they picked 16 as the number. Um, if you have it invoked more than 16 times in a chain, they will stop the invocation chain. And there's no so, time? There's no like period? It's just 16 times? Yeah, so they have something that can detect if, a Lambda invokes itself over and over with um, a similar payload, I should say. I don't think payload's really too too big. It, it's it's really if you're invoking the Lambda um, directly. They they have a similar check to where if you have the same like SNS or SQS payload invoking the Lambda, if the payload's the same on those, it's the same thing. If it's 16 times, they'll they'll stop the chain. But if it's a direct Lambda to Lambda invoke, Lambda to itself invoke, they'll stop it 16 times as well. So we we developed this solution, you know, before this fix had come in, so we didn't run across it. But just recently, we, we came across it and we're like, mm, yeah, we really need to re-architect that because first, that chaining Lambdas together is not an ideal solution, especially when it's really just one long process that's running and we need to keep checking and re-invoke, uh, re-initiating the log export. So what we're probably going to do is convert it to an ECS task and just have a container continually running and checking. That's really probably the correct solution for long-running processes is to put things in a container like that, not a Lambda function. Yeah, it's a it's a bummer when things don't have a, an event that you can go off of. It. Right, and that's just an example of how like cloud providers can just quickly make a change and it'll affect your architecture and you just need to pivot quickly. <laughs> Yeah, it does happen. Yeah, and that that's really interesting too. I mean, that the, been able to find a, a way to sort of break that that situation where if it's calling itself, I mean, I'm sure that that was a request that that uh, had been put to AWS for quite a while. I mean, something like that. Even though with the um, the amount of uh, uh, how cheap Lambda is. I mean, something calling itself over and over and over again can really rack up the bill if left unchecked, you know? And that's what it is. You know, it's a safety yeah. feature, so you're not racking up big bills. Because I'm sure they've gotten, I'm sure a laundry list of people who are like, oh my gosh, my charges, this was going, but I didn't know it and charged so much money. I'm sure that happens. Yeah. 
Excellent. All right. So just checking the time real quick. Um, we are getting close to the end. So I just want to save a little bit of time for final thoughts. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll start with you, Tom. Final thoughts? Final thoughts. You know, you just with the um, the monitoring, the biggest thing is, is making it easy, you know, low friction for people that need that information, whether it's developers or or anybody else that could be, you know, troubleshooting. You, you know, you want that low friction. Make sure things are secure, but uh, it shouldn't require, right, like uh, a login that people don't have if they need to get in there, right, <laughs> at that time. Or, or And also make it easy to onboard, um, you know, to to be able to, to access those. When you do the onboarding, make sure that uh, everybody has that access. And, um, it, yeah, making it... Yeah, meeting the user of those logs where they are, right? Thinking about what's you know how they're going to consume them, and you know what's what's useful to them. Absolutely, Preston. Final thoughts? Yeah, you know everything we talked about is, um, you know, AWS provides a lot of solutions for for logging and monitoring, and so you you can choose. Uh, what you what you want to use and focus on, because again, like with all their services, you you don't need to use them all, but they they do tailor, they do have tailored services for for specific things. Um, now we didn't get to talk about AWS TimeStream and manage Grafana, but just kind of briefly touch on that. We talked about the S3 and Athena logging, and um, you know that's not it, it's not going to be real, real fast to search through a lot of logs. Whereas um, a service like AWS TimeStream is a, uh, a database that offers very fast performance. And it also offers a, um, a dynamic schema. It's kind of like a NoSQL database, um, like DynamoDB, except it is immutable. And so you can write data there and queries are very fast. We utilize AWS Managed Grafana which um, is a tool to build dashboards. And um, we use that to, um, there's some built-in AWS dashboards there too to visualize the status of services. But we also use Grafana to visualize, um, you know, you know, logs for that we've built for our applications to view metrics for that. So using Grafana is another way to visualize data that you've stored in these databases. Uh, we, you know, stored in time stream to, for use with Grafana because it's quite performant. But it's just another example of uh, another set of tools that AWS gives you. And so there's a lot of things you can do to, to really build that out on top of the default logging that, you know, CloudWatch is going to give you right out of the box. And um, I'll throw one more word out there. I'll throw the word CloudTrail out there, which is another logging tool that AWS has. And CloudTrail is not really about application logs, but CloudTrail is about the actions that happen in your account. So when you create things or delete things, or if things are invoked or activated, this is more like an activity log for what's going on in your AWS account. And that can also um, be useful too in, in some uh, accounts or some respects. And um, so maybe we can talk a little more about CloudTrail later too, but that's another uh, another service AWS has. So lots of lots of fun tools to play with and to really build out your, your logging monitoring. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and I mean, just like I said before, this is such a huge, broad topic that, yeah, I mean, it would make sense to uh, cover that visualization tools, like you mentioned before with Grafana um, or with the CloudWatch dashboards in uh, a future episode. <laughs> so stay tuned for part three coming in the, in the future. But yeah, I guess that, that pretty much wraps it up. So I would like to take the opportunity to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to today's episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. And we hope you found the conversation informative and valuable. And we'd love to have you join us again for the next episode with our topic, The Birth of Agile. As always, the episode will feature expert guests and interactive conversations, so be sure to tune in. Thanks, everybody.